I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we sit down in our office. A couple of ladies. And go about our business. Yeah. And if you don't want our business muddled in with your output. What? I don't know. What do businesses do? (laughs) Listen, if you don't want us to account for what's happening in these books, you can read them yourself. Amen, sister. If you don't want to hear our thoughts on these books, just don't listen to the podcast. Anyway, if you do want to hear our thoughts on these books and even more of our thoughts, we are coming to you live. You can come see us on tour. We are going to Phoenix, Arizona, Los Angeles, California, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And that's all for now. No, and Austin, Texas. And Austin, Texas for the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. We're so excited for all of these dates and tours. We cannot wait to get back out on the road to you guys. We're coming off of an incredible Christmas spectacular. Thank you so much to everybody who came. I hope you were holly jolly and filled with good cheer. I hope you made friends and laughed and sang and cried. And I hope you check out our friend Tommy McNamara, who was the Christmas boy who sang his own unique Christmas renditions of songs. We love Tommy McNamara and the Christmas Boys. It's actually one of my favorite bands of all time. Claire, if you were to write a memoir, how would you title last year's chapter? Last year? This is the last episode of the year. I guess I would say it's been a lot. (laughs) That's so true. I just feel like it was a lot. And also in some ways it was nothing. And ain't that life? The days are long, but the weeks go by quick, baby. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of life things got done. I was talking to Mac. I made him think of his three words for next year because I don't know if you guys know this, but every year with Ashley and our friend Sophia, I run a little manifestation end of the year writing prompt workshop where we yeah, all get we're together. Yeah, we're about to do our third year in a row. Yeah, our fancy fools get together, think about last year, think about next year. And so I've been thinking about three words that I think are going to be like my intention words for next year. I'll share them on the Patreon because they're a bit too corny for me and I'm like humiliated to even tell you guys this. <laughs> But I was asking Mac and he was just like, I feel like one of his words was like chilling. But it was like because I feel like we did a lot this year. And he's like, now I just want to like bask in it. And I feel that yeah. too. I feel like no more. I agree. I'm done growing. <laughs> 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 I kind of would like to be stagnant for a minute. Just the pod and hang in. Just watch a little buggy grow up. You know that they say the third year of a dog's life is the most important year of a dog's life. So I just want to be there for all the little moments. <laughs> She's been so cute. So yeah, I don't know. Good year all in all. We kept on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Totally. That's what my year was. Ashley? Yeah. If you were a celebrity and you were to write a memoir, what would you say last year's title was called? This is unfair because you had time to think about it. Okay. Well, I would say that mine is just like pretty good. Like I don't think I had anything major happen, but I feel like it was pretty stagnant in a positive way. Like I think sometimes I feel very negatively stagnant where I think like nothing is changing and nothing is good. But I do feel like I found like a very good equilibrium in my life. And I feel like pretty happy about it. Like there is room for improvement, of course, as always. I plan to learn, grow, change. Not me. But I do think that like overall, I don't know, we were touring. We were putting out a podcast. Bug's been just like very good and consistent. And then I've been like living life. Just living, baby. Like good friends, good hangs. Pretty good. Like no real complaints, you know? (laughs) That's so good. And I love that for me. I love that for you too. Anyway, should we get into this week's book, which has, quite frankly, no complaints? The Office BFFs, a book by The Office Ladies, Tales from the Office from two best friends who were there, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, from the hosts of The Office Ladies podcast. So if you guys recall the show, it was a hit called The Office. These are the (laughs) ladies from The Office who started a podcast about being on The Office called Office Ladies. 
And then they wrote a book about making the podcast because of the show The Office called The Office BFFs. Okay, this book was a book that I think would have been a bit too long of a chunk on either of their respective memoirs because this really is what their memoir would have been. And if they had tried to write independent memoirs, I think we would have been quite peeved by the way all they really had going on was like talking about The Office. And so I kind of respect that they were like, we're not even going to fake it. We're just going to write a book about making The Office and give that to you. Yeah, these are two people who I guess have just said, this is what we have. And why not keep making money off of hanging out with my best friend in an easy way? And that way they're living our dream. Yeah, they're exactly who we want to be. We just haven't had the success yet. Totally. We're one biggest TV show of all time away from getting to live our dream. This book is not what we would typically cover on this podcast, but you know what? It's the holidays. It's betwixt miss. It is just like a week where we're supposed to just kick back and laugh. And so that's what we hoped to do with this book. This book wasn't as ridiculous as I thought it would be. Me either. It had its moments of earnestness. It was a well-captioned scrapbook. Totally. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And, and we're, we're best. No. I wanted to read it in unison. Well, you can't. It's played. You can't. <laughs> okay. They already wrote it themselves. Fine. This isn't our book. We have our podcast where we talk about their book. If we ever write a book together, I hope we write this, the whole thing in unison. Yeah, I hope all of the, like, my dialogue and your dialogue is on top of each other. Me too. All right, start again from the top. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsley. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. We're also moms, business partners, podcasters, lovers of knickknacks, sometimes hikers, avid scrapbookers, and wine and canvas artists. And now we're the co-authors of this book. Okay, we don't need to keep going. You guys get the gist. They like achieved the dream of being like the top wine and paint night gals in Los Angeles. Something odd about this book is how regular they are. I know. Like, and I keep being like, Claire, that's so misogynistic. Like, obviously, they're like very talented comedic actresses. They were like two of the comedic stars of one of the hit comedy shows of the 21st century. And then on top of that, they are like people who had cut their chops studying comedic acting and yet I still don't know that you were acting ever once in that show I just feel like you are target moms who played target like I just am like you're so regular I can't believe it I'm like how were you in Los Angeles and not Scranton Pennsylvania I agree I was just like who who told you to I listen I understood it immediately who told them to go out there it felt insane that anybody should say you guys should go be stars but they are stars. They're ginormous stars. <laughs> and I would never take that away from them. No, but it is like there's something so weird about reading this book because they don't really have personalities in this book at all. Like name one trait about either of them. Okay, I actually have one for each. Um, They're chatty. Jenna likes food and Angela loves being tiny. That's so true. And like they're best friends. Their biggest personality trait is that they love best friendship, but that's also one of our biggest personality traits, so I can't knock it. I know, but you know what? It's just so hard to know why they aren't the people they played. I know. Like, well, can I say what's especially confusing about it is that Angela's name on the show is Angela, but Jenna's name on the show isn't Jenna. So then you're like, okay, Jenna is Pam, but Angela is Angela, but Jenna isn't Pam and Angela isn't Angela. But that's not even true. I think Jenna is Pam. And I think Angela is Angela. (laughs) Between producing a weekly podcast, multiple target runs, and getting snacks for the kids, do your kids snack as much as ours do? You might wonder, why did these busy ladies add writing a book to their list? I'll tell you. They don't sound that busy to me. They don't sound busy at all. And also, I'm like, I'm sure you got paid millions of dollars. I'm sure every single day of your life, you're like shocked at how much you can cash in with no work. 
They say this book took them three years to make. It is a two-hour conversation transcribed. That is crazy. I feel like the hardest part about it would be organizing the way the photos in the book go. Yeah, but I don't even think that would be their job. I know. You might be wondering, why did these busy ladies add writing a book to their list? I'll tell you. In April 2018, Jen and I both decided to do a big spring cleaning of our garages, attics, basements, and sheds. Basically, all the places we stash random stuff. Both of us had been putting this task off for years, so we decided to do it together. While digging through our boxes, we found tons of office memorabilia, journals, and our time on set, piles of photos of everybody and everything, and little mementos we'd collect along the way. So they said, why not use these photos and our other best friend stories rather than keep these wonderful items for ourselves? We've decided to use them to create the book that you are holding right now. I wish to God that my garbage was just worth millions. Same. We never take photos. Yeah, but our treasure isn't worth millions. Our garbage ain't worth shit. (laughs) I also can't believe how much stuff there is to clean up. You know what I mean? To be like, we've got basements, we've got attics, we've got sheds. I'm like, stop talking about how rich you are. It's crazy. Okay, so they decided to write this book as just like going back and forth because like their favorite thing to do as best friends is talk. So they're just going to write their book like they're talking. So there's not much I can say to knock it. There's not much I can say to knock it. It is like a question I have of why not just keep podcasting with an Instagram. I guess the check. So from a very early age, Jenna always knew she wanted to be an actor. She moved out to L.A., and was like working as a background actor for years. And she was like a receptionist to make money. She's like, I was Pam. I was working as a receptionist and pursuing my art dreams on the side. I told my manager I wanted to quit. The years of rejection having taken their toll and my new plan was to apply to a vet tech school. She told me to keep at it, that the right role would find me if I didn't give up. I had my doubts at that point. I'd been plugging away in Los Angeles for nearly eight years, but I decided to take her advice and give it one more year. As fate would have it, the following pilot season, I was asked to audition for the American remake of BBC show called The Office. I guess like it just isn't always that interesting to read, but I wish it was more interesting to read. Like what was happening in those eight years? Because I like that it took time. Me too. Both her and Angela had really like paid their dues. Yeah. They had both gone to acting school. Angela had spent years being like an improv person. We'll get to it. The most interesting story of this is about how they all came together and they specifically wanted to cast like no-name people. Yeah, they wanted Rego's hardcore. And Rego's they found. But the most interesting (laughs) one of all is Phyllis. Phyllis had spent the previous 19 years working in casting, including eight as casting associate for Allison Jones. When we all came into audition for The Office, Phyllis was our reader. Ken Quapis was so taken with her, he told Greg that he thought she should play a role in the show. And then, of course, John Krasinski had done some commercials and BJ Novak had been doing stand-up comedy when he was discovered at like 23. Yeah, and he was also like a Harvard lampoon guy, I think. Yeah, and also it seems like his dad was kind of famous. Yeah. Because later on... They were like, BJ Novak told us a story about growing up playing categories with Michael Jackson at Deepak Chopra's house because his dad was a famous author. And I was like, okay, BJ Novak, you bobblehead bitch. Who are you? Can I say, I think we should read some of his essays for some of our upcoming live shows. Totally. I've heard some pretty gnarly things about him as a man. I met him in Paris once. I was shocked at his big head and his little body. I said, you are perfect for TV. He gave you the worst stand-up advice you've ever gotten. Yes. I think it's actually the worst stand-up advice anyone's ever gotten. Yeah. When I was going into my senior year of college, I did this like summer course in Paris and he was doing a reading at like that Shakespeare and Co or whatever. And at the time, I really looked up to him as like a comedy writer, a TV writer. He kind of had the path I wanted to take at the time. I really wanted to be a TV writer. It would be years before I found out that I'm not a good writer. So that's not really (laughs) viable. (laughs) I didn't know that I lacked the determination and uh, natural skill. (laughs) Can I say, I don't think you lack the natural skill. I think you lack the ability to sit down. 
It's so hard. Why would you write when you could chat? <laughs> That's what Angela and Jenna said. I don't need to make TV people laugh. I'm already making you laugh. Anyway. Okay. So I ran to go see him and I like asked for some advice. Actually, the first round of advice he gave me was pretty good. He said, write for your friends. Just start writing for your friends, which I wouldn't say is great advice, but I think the premise of like just start writing and putting it online is really good advice. Like just get work out there because you have to start somewhere. If you wait till you're perfect, you're going to wait till you're dead. So fine. A year later, I like tweeted at him and I was like, BJ, I met you in Paris last year. You said write for my friends. Like I've been doing that. What should I do next? And he said, go back to Paris. Famously, where the best English-speaking comedy <laughs> scene in the world is. And I think I even responded, I was like, I'm already in New York City. And he was like, back to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't speak French, though. It seems silly to leave the core of the industry and also my friends and family to go to another continent that's not really known for their wit. They're known for their wit, but not their laughter. Their not their American sensibilities. They're not known to goof. No, they're not goofballs. I mean, they're goofy, but they're not goofballs. It's Was Ratatouille in France the funniest man in France? I think you're misremembering the film. I think he was a very serious foodie. Actually, the whole point of the film was that he was such a cultural elite that he had isolated himself from his friends and family. I'm talking about the guy who got controlled by the rat. Oh, the Nepo baby Linguini. Yeah. That's pretty goofy. Senior Linguini. <laughs> pretty goofy to yeah. say, I'll let a rat do my job for me. <laughs> Not quite American, though. Anyway, so let's get to Angela's side of the story. She grew up in Indonesia by way of Louisiana and Texas. That's just not really something she Can comes back to. Can I tell you to. something, honestly? What? I think when I first read this, I skipped that entirely and read it as Indiana. And then later she was like, when I was in Indonesia and my sister had a tapeworm for years, and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> You can't just say Indonesia by way of Texas. Well, can I say something? So my parents were in town this last weekend and my dad is like a mega office head. He'll randomly be like, what book are you reading next, Office Ladies? Like specifically he'll say that? Yeah. And then this is the first time it happened to be true. And then I said yes. And he goes, wait, what? <laughs> anyway, so then he goes, I think Angela's parents were missionaries. <gasps> Bingo bongo. Bingo, boingo, bango. So I think okay, that Mr. Explains. Hamilton, you fucking nail on the head of that guy. Because she says my dad was a drilling engineer and we moved around for his job. But like, is there oil in Indonesia? I mean, I'm sure there's something to be engineered, like a belief in God. <laughs> you drill down into your faith. Totally. And out springs the well of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry if we're painting you as and that makes you. And if you do it not. right, it makes you so rich. <laughs> totally. Just ask Joel. We're big Joel heads these days, huh? <laughs> I bring up Joel Alstein a lot. <laughs> That's a funny thing to be. <laughs> Joel heads. I don't think it is. I think he's like a billionaire because there are so many Joel heads. <laughs> okay. So she grew up wanting to be Carol Burnett. She never did become Carol Burnett, but I do think she got close, if I'm being honest. After college, she goes and gets an internship at Conan O'Brien's show, and she's, like, desperate to watch him do his thing, which actually, really good choice, Angela. He is far and away the best late-night host of all time. So she finds out that out of all of the Conan interns, there are two that get to be on set and, like, watch rehearsals and watch the show, and it is the band intern and the script intern. And the script intern's already been hired, so she is like, oh, music, music is my life, I love music, and she gets to be the band intern, which, I mean, listen... I think that like one of the least unethical things you can do. And by that way, the most ethical thing you can do is lie to get an internship. 
They are lying about giving you a job. Exactly. The state of an internship is a lie upon itself. Anyway, so she interns at Conan. She learns about comedy. I think she had heard of comedy. No, she had just found out about comedy from Conan O'Brien. And she's doing improv. She had a handful of commercials. Buick, Chrysler, Lay's Wow Chips with Alestra. She also was working as an operator at 1-800-DENTIST. She also ran the intern program at iOS Comedy Club. Let me tell you, being an intern begets being an intern. That's so true. She became king of the interns. And then she got her office audition in a bit of a Nepo way. But she had been performing improv three nights a week for a decade. No, I'm not saying she didn't deserve it. I think she was incredible in that role. But I'm just saying that every now and then, the door to an opportunity is opened by a friend. Mm -hmm. And that is how she got this audition. So she was married to Warren Lieberstein. And Warren's sister was Greg Daniels' wife. Greg Daniels is the creator of The Office. And so she was at her brother-in-law's house, and he says, I want you to come in and audition for a show that I'm doing. I am taking this BBC show and converting it for the U.S. And don't tell anyone that we know each other because I don't think they'll want you. So he says he wants her to come in because he thinks her improv background will be really good for the documentary style of the show, but he also like wants it to be unknowns. I mean, it obviously is for the best, but I am like, wow, to be like, you're so unsuccessful. I think you'd be perfect for my show. But it also turned out that Allison Jones, the casting director, had also been a big champion of Angela's behind the scenes. So actually, Allison knew the whole time that Angela was related to this guy, Greg Daniels, who created the show or like Americanized created the show. So she comes in. She auditions for Pam. Who knew that? Office heads. We all knew that. Yeah. That's like lore. That's part of the show, basically. They said, you're too feisty. She moves on. A week later, they call her back and say, we actually think you'd be perfect for Angela. So she shows up in her own clothes, no makeup, and they're like, you look drab and unfab. You look like an uptight fucking bitch. Sit your ass down. They even, after the Angela audition, they're like, wear that for the pilot. They like loved the way that she was so ugly as Angela. Unwrap the first of many presents this season with Holidays on the House from DraftKings Casino. With hundreds of games, prizes, and promos, DraftKings Casino has everything on your list. Right now, new players who play $5 get $100 instantly in casino credits. What are you waiting for? Cozy up with all the classics like slots, blackjack, and roulette. Or play exclusive games you'll only find at DraftKings Casino to feel the holiday cheer all season long. Download the DraftKings Casino app now and sign up with the promo code WORM and play $5 to get $100 in casino credits. That's the promo code WORM only at DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly, 21 and up. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. One per opt-in new customer. $5 wage required, max $100 in casino credit awarded, which requires 1x play within seven days. Terms at casino.draftkings.com slash holidays on the house. Restrictions apply. Oh my God, there is a picture of early days John Krasinski that like knocked me off my rocker. He looks different. They gave that man a whole different jawline. I mean, from chin to eyeball is completely different. (laughs) His forehead covered by bangs looks the same, but the rest of him... Just a different head. He looks like you ever saw one of those dogs get stung by a bee (laughs) on their nose. That's what his face looks like. (laughs) Okay, so 
Jenna Fisher gets the role of Pam. Angela gets the role of Angela. They're all kind of figuring shit out as they move in to film the pilot. And nobody knows what's going to happen next. Like, it could very easily become nothing. Something that we heard from Mindy Kaling's book as well that I know to be true is that every single person in Hollywood was obsessed with telling these people that the show would never make it. Yeah. It does seem like from all of their memoirs, I do believe that in Hollywood, that's always the question like, is the pilot going to go? Is the series going to be picked up for season two? But more than anyone else, I feel like people, their gas station attendants were coming out of the M&M section saying, by the way, that show you have hoped for, it's a failure. Dead in the water. D-O-A. Pam or Jenna was actually in London at one point. It was after they did the pilot, but I think before the show aired. And there was like an article in a British magazine about the new version of The Office and how it was just like short to suck. And like it was all of the characters and it was like their faces next to the original British version characters. And being like, this is why this person is completely unsuited to play this role. This is why this person is completely unsuited to play this role. And it's very cute. She's like, I was in a magazine. <laughs> She's like, I saved it. <laughs> I couldn't believe my photo was out there. Angela gets to set day one. And who's there? Oscar Nunez, who she knows from being a struggling actor. They were both big improv heads. And then they talk about kind of how they met. So I guess Angela's cubicle was like kind of behind Pam's desk. So Angela would pop her little head up and they would chat, which is how I made friends with my friend Daniel when I worked in a cubicle. Yeah. If you're a lonely at work, try popping your head up at a cubicle. I will say, ever once I was saying something to my cubicle mates at my old, old job and just nobody would answer. I'd go in and just say, can you hear me? Am I dead? Someone throw garbage at me. Just let me know I'm real. Is that when you would make those videos of you spinning in your chair? I went through a phase where my Instagram bit was I would go to work and I would just spin in my chair <laughs> and I'd film it and I'd upload it. And one time I was in there and all of the lights were off and actually nobody else was. <laughs> this happened to me twice back in my office days. Twice I went to work and not a single person was there and all the lights were off. And once I just spun around and um, like two hours later, people popped up. It was Friday morning. I guess everybody was late that day. But then another time I fell asleep and when I woke up, sure enough, it turned out that like the office had moved <laughs> and nobody had told me. Where did it move to? Like it was one of those giant floors where there was just like cubicles <laughs> everywhere and they had just moved the whole department to a different section of the floor that I couldn't see. It was like beyond the elevators or something. But because I had come in, seen nobody and been like, sweet, easy day, I like fell asleep and I woke up and it was 2 p.m. And I think I like went to the bathroom and I was like, oh, my God, my friends, there they've been. <laughs> so anyway, I get it. I used to work at a toy company, well, like the production arm of a toy company that made TV shows about toys. And so we just like. <laughs> we just when you say it like that, it's preposterous. <laughs> and so there was just like toys everywhere. The toy department was on a different floor. And so. I had all these toys on my desk and I had these like baby toys that I thought were so funny. <laughs> and I would, on my like Snapchat stories, make up like all these narratives about them. And I would just like roll them around and be like, Turtle's on his way to work. <laughs> and sometimes my boss would be over there and I'd be like rolling my toys around <laughs> and like filming it. And he would be like, Did you finish that other thing? And I'd be like, Yep. <laughs> Office ladies. That's <laughs> us too. Anyway, so Angela's very chatty. Jenna's a little shy, but nevertheless, a friendship persists. But when did they really become friends? Well, hold on. I want to talk about the early days of this show. The cast was completely in sync, she says. All of our reactions, every moment felt perfect. I remember looking around the conference room and thinking, oh my God, if we can get people to watch the show, it'll be a hit. 
she talks about how they all like crossed paths weirdly. Can I say some of these were a fucking stretch? The fact that BJ Novak and John Krasinski were in the same like baseball little league. I'm like, well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's wild. But she was like, but these two both lived in Los Angeles. And I'm like, well, I think you guys all lived in Los Angeles. She's like, me and Angela have been going to the same supermarket for years and never met. Can you believe it? And I'm like, absolutely. I don't think I know anybody at my supermarket, but surely it serves an entire community because it's super. It's like a supermarket, <laughs> one of the top markets in the game. Okay, so then they like talk about some of the early backstories. It is kind of funny the way that like because the way the show was filmed, they just had to like be in character in the background of other people's scenes. And they would talk about like some of the goofy little bits they would do, like calling people on the phone and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, that sounds kind of fun. Maybe not 12 hours a day, but it sounds fun at first, at least. It does sound like it was so boring on set. It really reminded me so much of when I was a receptionist because all she could do was play free sell. They didn't have internet on their computers, but she would make like grocery lists and shopping lists and play free sell all day. And then they were all freezing. So they'd get little heaters at their desk. And I had that at my old desk. It really was like a day job where you just like clocked in and you couldn't clock out till the day was over. Exactly. One of the things that I actually found really interesting was the way that they all participated so heavily in their characters' backstories and the room they had to improvise. So they would all just like create these characters. The writers and the actors really worked together to build this world. And so Angela's cat Sprinkles was invented out of a little improv bit they were doing. They wanted her to just walk around. And so she was passing out post-it notes that said, come to Sprinkles' birthday party on Sunday, third birthday. And then when Jim and Pam had to like improv flirt, nothing was coming. And so finally she said, are you going to Sprinkles' birthday on Saturday? And he's like, what? <laughs> and they wrote that into like an overarching narrative. I think one of the reasons I posit it might have been so successful is because of like the level of effort they were all putting into it. Yes. I think a lot of people have this belief that like finally you get cast on a primetime sitcom and then you can just kind of like sit back and be successful. But I think what this showed me is that there is no real way to ever sit back and be successful. I think that you're like, working to get the gig and then you're working to make the gig as best as it can be and like to put out the best thing you can and so like the way they were infusing these characters with actual stories was like giving them the heart that it needed it also had so much to pick from like she sat down and did a whole backstory for pam and one of the questions she asked herself is why have me and roy been engaged for so long and not gotten married and she came up with a joke that he spent all their wedding money on jet skis yeah and when Greg Daniels said, Pam, why do you think that you and Roy haven't gotten married yet? She's like, well, here's what I've been thinking to myself. And they're like, that's so funny. And it really was like you take an entire writer's room of funny people, an entire acting room of funny people. And then you all say just like improv as many jokes as you can and we'll pick the best ones. Yeah. But I guess what I mean is like in terms of like long term yeah. life success, the way we're like taught to function is that you work hard for the opportunity. And then once you have the opportunity, you can hang out. And I think that this kind of shows that you can never just hang out. But I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Like you can hang out in a funny and successful way once you've made it past hanging out in a funny and unsuccessful way. Yeah. They did their first ever viewing party at Pam's house. She had a pretty big apartment. I guess LA, you have more space, but it looks pretty big, no? Yeah, it does look pretty big. And they all watched there. They all just sat on the floor and watched. It's interesting the way they like consulted the documentary filmmakers who shot the show about shooting yes. it more like a documentary than a sitcom. I actually did find that really interesting. So the guy who shot it actually had a reality TV background. He would put his body anywhere to get the shot. And he said he's the one who brought to them this idea that when people in reality TV get more intimate, you actually have to back away as the cameraman. That in like fiction and sitcoms, you zoom in and make it a more intimate shot. But in reality people are more likely to be vulnerable when you've backed off. So in order to tap into that, 
he incorporated all these things that he actually got from Survivor and how to like produce good reality TV and good documentary style TV. And that's why they have so many super spy shots. And she's like, there's like the spy shot, the super spy shot. And basically, if you look at it from like a visual context, the further the camera is from the action, the more of an intimate experience it feels like because it feels like you're catching people authentically. Yeah. Which is true. Finally, we get to where Pam and Angela or Jenna and Angela. I don't like that she actually has different names and Angela has the same name. We get to where they really became best friends. It was during a basketball tournament episode when Pam's character and Angela's character were just like sitting on a bench for most of it. They didn't have much of a role, but they like couldn't move because they had to be sitting on the bench in almost every shot. And so then they just chatted and became best friends for life. And it was so cute that Phyllis, who was sitting in front of them, said, you guys are so cute. Let me take a photo of you guys falling in love. And Phyllis was right. So now they have like a photo of the day they became best friends, which is actually so cool. I wish we had that. Me too. I'll never remember that you're my best friend now. This book really does go through like, and these were all the cameramen. And this was the art director. And this was the hair and makeup department. And this is what they contributed. And I have to say, this book is sweet because it really is what you're hoping all of your favorite TV shows are, which is like, we really were all friends. And everybody did work really hard. And it was a team effort. And we would get to hair and makeup. And they were so nice to us. And they worked so hard. And then we got to the set design and they were so nice to us and they worked so hard. And the guys who did all of the catering, they worked so hard and they were so nice to us. And he made good salsa and she figured the perfect barrette. And this one found the actual patch from the actual fire department in Scranton. And then we all went home and we hung out and had hot dogs and missed each other. I know. I guess I do feel like it partially is the magic of them like specifically seeking out newcomers. Yeah. And then it becoming so successful. I feel like a lot of TV shows that we read about, there'll be just the experience of doing like one season, having it canceled one season, have it canceled one season. And I feel like you're less likely to like bond as best friends when you're like, well, will this be one season and canceled or do we have some time here? And then she also thanks Steve Carell because he was the only actual star on the cast. He was the biggest name. He had been on The Daily Show. I can't believe they had Steve Carell and Steve Kilbert. I can't believe in America, in the United States of America, we had room for two men named Steve C. That's who looked so almost the same and both came out of The Daily Show. There are some chapters fully dedicated to some of the more important like episodes and moments in the show. One of them was Booze Cruise because up until that episode, only a handful of them were like cast regulars. It was just Steve Carell, John Krasinski, Rain Wilson, BJ Novak, and Jenna Fisher. Everyone else was recurring, which means like at any second their contracts could have been canceled or like they weren't officially part of the show. Then when they shot Booze Cruise, that was when they got the news that, first of all, the show was moving to Thursday night, which was historically a must-see TV sitcom night. Cheers, Seinfeld, Friends, Will and Grace, Scrubs. These are all the successful comedies that aired on Thursday nights at NBC. It used to be must-watch TV. Something funny about this show is the idea of appointment TV is so bananas. I know. In this day and age, like later we get into how much they try to keep certain things secret about like big reveals. And I'm like, first of all, to have big reveals in a sitcom in a show like The Office where it's so episodic and the plot feels so secondary to the journey and the jokes and the character development, it's like, who fucking cares? But also the idea that any show in the world has to have some big reveal, like it's such a surprise that Steve Carell is going to be in the finale. I'm like, I can't even fathom in our streaming service life. Me either. I can't even believe shows aired on a day. Do you remember that thing that would record all your shows for you? TiVo. TiVo. <laughs> I remember wanting a TiVo so bad. And then we had all of these like problems in my house because my dad loves certain shows and doesn't want to delete them because he wants to be able to rewatch them. So 
whenever like me and my brother wanted to record shows on TiVo, I'd have like three days to watch a show before my dad would delete it because he needed a room to like save more episodes of The Office or something. I believe that. But now it's so funny. It's so crazy. And then like I think we would get to delete them after like a year when the DVDs came out and my dad would like buy the DVDs. Things are crazy. (laughs) You guys would not believe the way people would spend like $65 on a DVD box set of an entire season of a TV show. I remember my mom when I went to high school sent me Gossip Girl season two on DVD. So that's the only season of Gossip Girl I've ever seen. (laughs) And then when I went to freshman year, my dad sent me with three DVDs that he had bought like in a discount box from Blockbuster. And one of them is the craziest movie of all time. (laughs) What movie was it? In her shoes. (laughs) The story of how Cameron Diaz is a VJ who can't read. And her sister is like a lawyer and she's so mad because Cameron's hot and she's ugly. And then Cameron Diaz goes on to become like a faux elder care nurse while her sister has like a mental breakdown. It's literally like they were like, okay, we have 75% of two separate movies. What if we made 150% of zero movie? And they were like, yeah. Right? Is it Allison Janney? Who is in that movie with her? I don't I, know. I, think, I, I don't think anybody's ever heard of this except for me. No, I know. When you said in her shoes, I said, what was Cameron Diaz doing in whose shoes? But I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened. The ugly sister like, is a lawyer, so she can afford fancy shoes. But she doesn't ever let Cameron borrow them because she's already so hot. And her whole thing is like, shoes always fit. What? How could shoes always fit be a thing? Like, her whole thing was she hated buying clothes, but, like, shoes always fit. In her shoes. <laughs> I know. You can keep saying stuff. I just don't relate to the sentiment. Your shoes don't always fit? If you buy a pair of shoes that fits, that pair of shoes will yes, always fit. as opposed to, like, jeans, which you may or may not feel good on in a certain day. Yeah, but I guess, like, people's shoe sizes change, too, sometimes. Well, not to Alice and Janney-esque type character. That's so true. Should we watch that for the Patreon? Yeah, absolutely. It's insane, and only I know about it. (laughs) Okay, so to film Booze Cruise, they spent like a couple of nights shooting on a boat, and everyone got so seasick that they all almost died. And then Angela and like another group got wrapped early, and so they put them on a dinghy to go back to shore, and the boat got lost, and then they like almost got lost at sea, but I think it was like a small lake, so it turned out fine. It was also the big deal where Angela got a full-time cast offer. It also meant that if they were like hiring full-time people, it probably meant that their second season was going to get extended because after their first season, they only got hired for six more episodes of season two, which meant that they were very questionable. Yeah. I mean, the first season was only six episodes and then the second season was another mini season. And it's like, at what fucking point do you guys just make a season? Can I say something about this booze cruise chapter? What? There's a photo where I thought, oh my God, is Jenna Fisher so beautiful? And it's Amy Adams. It was Amy Adams in the photo. I was like, this is the most beautiful Jenna Fisher's ever look. I can't believe she has a sparkle to her that I never noticed. I can't believe they tamped down that insane. Like there's just like a light to her that I'd never seen in the show. They did such good jobs with camera and makeup. And then I said, oh, that's Amy Adams. Got it. She is a light though. <laughs> they also were like, we loved working with Amy Adams. It was before she was Amy Adams. And she was just a regular, struggling actress like the rest of us. We knew how it was when it's touch and go. Two weeks later, when she was nominated for an Oscar, we were so excited for her. And I was like, I know a lot of struggling touch and go actors. I'm not saying none of them will ever be nominated for an Oscar, but I know for a fact none of them are being nominated in two weeks. Not one person that I would call a struggling actor today will buy E-O-Y end of year. Sorry, I'm on an acronym kick because time is 
ticking and it's almost 2024 and I don't have time to say it all. But EOY, <laughs> none of them are going to be nominated for shit. Totally. Rob Riggle, they said is very great. My old boss, actually at that job where I was always spinning in my chair, knew Rob Riggle and he was always like, you want me to introduce you to him? And I'd be like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> what would it hurt? He'd be like, I, I told him about you at dinner. We, got, we caught up over drinks together and I told him about you. And I said, thank you. <laughs> that will take me far. I can't wait until someday when we work with Rob Riggle. And he goes, so my old boss, you've actually been hearing about me for years, my I mean, friend. Like, oh, of course. I kept meaning to call you. I had a job for you. You were two weeks away from an Oscar nomination. On the way home from where they were filming Booze Cruise, Angela's car died in the middle of an intersection. And I will say, if this was just an Angela memoir, that would have been like two chapters. But she didn't even care because she finally had money. So she bought herself a new car soon. Hell Yeah. She had a Chevy Blazer, and then she got herself a Honda. Woohoo! Finally, chapter four, behind the scenes. Hair today, gone tomorrow. This is where they talk about their hair and makeup process, which is funny because the hair makeup process was like none. They were like, you look so plain, just like somebody from Pennsylvania. We love that about you. Stay the same. They talk a lot about the wardrobe and how the wardrobe stylist never wanted to style the characters in anything that they like couldn't actually afford. So Pam always had to wear like, and Taylor Outlet and Old Navy. And like at one point it was going to be Pam's first episode wearing jeans. And she wore these like incredible jeans in a movie that she had shot. And she was like, can I just wear these jeans? And they were like, no, Old Navy. I think like these were very talented people and they were doing everything they could to try to put a little zhuzh into themselves. So all of Angela's clothes got updated with like cat buttons and stuff. They were just doing anything they could. Meanwhile, Dwight got really intense costumes because he had all those characters he played. Yeah. It was funny, though. The woman who did all the costumes had never worked in an office before. So she called up a paper company in California and asked to come over for the day and take photos so she could, like, study them in their natural habitat. There was a lot of studying in natural habitats being done. Like, when she had to do a fire department thing, I guess every fire department in the world has, like, a custom patch. And so she, like, called Scranton, Pennsylvania and was like, I would like to model our custom patch off of your custom patch. And they, like, mailed her a photo of the patch. And then they developed this relationship, the costumer and this person from the Commerce Board of Scranton, and they became friends. And then eventually when they had more of a budget and they were obviously a hit, they held a booth at the Scranton Mall and said, all local Scranton businesses, bring us your junk. So that they could like decorate the office with Scranton stuff. That's kind of cute. It is so funny that as the budget went up and up and up, they just came up with crazier things to do. They'd be like, we recreated the exact chilies from Scranton, Pennsylvania in Los Angeles. Would it not have just been cheaper to go to a different chilies? I mean, there are chilieses within driving distance, I'm sure. This I found very interesting and something that I would have loved to explore if Jenna had like written more about herself. So they talk a little bit more about their best friendship and like bonding behind the scenes. But she says, before meeting Angela, I didn't really have any close friends in Los Angeles. I had friends, but this was different. I felt so safe with Angela. We could be silly. We could be serious. I mean, they are like best, best, best friends. Like they are family. But I do think it's interesting that she was struggling in Los Angeles for like eight years and didn't have anyone she could rely on. That's like a tough spot. That's a long time. What I found interesting is this whole chapter about catering. And <laughs> if you had something you got every day, they would name it after you. So the Rashida became very fancy. And I know we've all been dying to find out what Rashida Jones eats for breakfast every day. And I'll tell you, she would get black beans, turkey bacon, avocado egg whites with two corn tortillas on the side, and Sergio's special salsa. Angela used to only eat half of stuff. 
So everything that came Angela size meant half. So people would order the Rashida Angela size. Yum. Interesting stuff, huh? Jenna and Angela would eventually go back to Jenna's trailer every single day to eat lunch there. I wonder why Jenna had a trailer and Angela didn't. Doesn't it seem like Jenna and John Trzynski had trailers, but none of, nobody else did? No, Angela had a trailer because when she has a kid, she got like a double trailer. Yeah, but that was many years later. I guess she like wasn't even a regular up until Booze Cruise. Yeah, I guess they always had fun. Everybody wanted drama, but there was no drama. There was no drama. They were just friendship. They loved holidays. As you saw on the show, they would dress up for holidays. But in real life, they also dressed up for the holidays. And to this day, Angela has a white elephant party at her house. And it's famous. And 100 people go. And there's a ton of stuff. And everyone fights over horrible gifts. They said Oscar Munez is so fun at a party. And I believe that. Yeah, me too. So she talks about the Halloween episode, the first Halloween episode that they did. The whole point of the episode was that Michael Scott had to fire somebody. And they picked this guy who was going to do like an off-Broadway play in New York to do it. It was between Devin and Creed. And Creed obviously stays on and becomes like a pretty important character in many ways. And it made me just think about how random success is. Creed and this other guy were essentially background actors. They were like featured extras for a couple of episodes. Until like now Creed is just like one of the stars of one of the most popular sitcoms of all time. And the other guy is a guy who just like does plays. Maybe. Maybe. That's what we're hoping. He did a play at least. He did one off-Broadway play and we don't even know how long that lasted. I don't know. I'm just like, wow. The way things go, the way the dice rolls, you know? They also say about costuming, there was one person in the cast who had some influence over her Halloween costume, Mindy Kaling. Since Mindy was also on the writing staff, she got to be part of pitching costume ideas. Mindy loved putting together Halloween wardrobes. I personally feel like she had some of the best costumes each year, but let's be honest, Mindy is a style icon. She dresses better than any of us off camera as well. Something so interesting to me is the presence of Mindy Kaling in this book. Yes. As a writer, she was like the one female writer. It's, this is a boys club. One thing that comes through for sure about The Office was it was a boys club. There was only one female cast member full time when it started. That was Pam. And then there was only one female writer. writer, and that was Mindy. And then I guess Mindy was able to like argue to become more of a cast member and make the character of... Kelly. Kelly Kapoor, more like herself. But it is such a boys club. And I do feel that considering that it's such a boys club, you would think that Mindy would have been closer with the women on the show. But it seems like she was not. Okay. So that was one thing I was thinking. Here is my one other thing that I will hypothesize. Hit me. Jenna and Angela had been like duking it out in Hollywood for fucking ages. And Mindy made one play with her best friend and then got a job as a writer on this TV. Like, I wonder if they just had nothing in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I guess there was like such different places almost in our 10 lives. years difference age-wise. Also, I do think it seems like the writers were kept quite separate from the actors. I know that- she actually specifically says they were like encouraged to not be separate at all. Yeah, but not – but like they had a different room. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like made clear that the people like Kelly and BJ, who were both writers and actors – Yeah. Really did have like a foot in each world. Also because they were probably just so busy writing and acting. I think compared to other sets where like the writers are in New York and the actors are in LA, it was not like you were forbidden, but it does seem like on a day-to-day they would like run over and say hi during snack time, but they were not. It was not 100% like every actor is a writer. Yes. They were allowed to say, like sometimes they'd be asked questions and allowed to contribute, but um, I do feel like Mindy is a guy's gal. Oh, Yeah. I mean, we know that because then when she had the opportunity to make her own show, it took like five seasons for them to put another girl on the show. But I think that like in a situation where there's very few women, either all the women can band together or 
you can try even harder to be like, there are no women here. And I feel like Mindy was- Mindy wrote a show about OBGYNs where it was like all male doctors. (laughs) (laughs) And then she went on to star in a movie where she was the only woman in the room. Yeah. She loves being the only woman. She lives for it. Yeah. They talk a little bit about work-life balance as moms. And I think I really appreciated this perspective. And it wasn't even necessarily perspective, just the honesty about like having to miss Halloweens and things like that when you're working in TV because the hours are so long and how it just sucks. So Jenna talks a lot about this other show called Splitting Up Together, which she did two seasons of with Oliver Hudson. And she refers to it nonstop throughout this book. As if it was similar to The Office. I think because she was the star of it, it was like a huge fucking deal to her, even though no one on the entire planet watched it. Anyway, she's like, one day on Splitting Up Together, (laughs) I was going to miss Halloween with my kids, which sucked because on The Office, so many of the workers had families. So they were always out by six, which is quite rare, I think, for a TV show. And so they, especially on Halloween, they always got to go home and be with their kids on Halloween. And when she called Angela and said that she was going to miss Halloween with her three and six-year-old, Angela had everyone on her block do a faux Halloween on Sunday so that her and her kids could come trick-or-treating. That's very cute. That's very sweet. Can I say something? What? Both Angela and Jenna seem to really struggle with being working parents and everything that you miss out on in life. And again, and I, I talk about this on the Patreon with The Real Housewives, it's always interesting lifestyle creep because I'm pretty sure that these two women could live off of whatever they've earned plus residuals if they just chose to live within their means. Yeah. This whole book is about how after they got out of the office, all they wanted to do was hang out with their kids. They didn't want to work these insane schedules anymore. They didn't want to move around. They, like, they just wanted to be home with their kids and never miss anything. And I think they would have preferred to be stay-at-home moms, but they're like, but you got to keep making money. And I was like, did you? Also, I know how this is going to sound, but they talk about how hard they worked on the office and they often refer to 12-hour days. Which, when you work in television, is not that, that is an easy day. Yeah. To be out by 6 every day is insane for TV. She says it was often 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I mean, I'm like, well, what was the crew working, first yeah. of all? Most crews work like 16-hour days. Mm-hmm. I think that that's like pretty standard, or at least for our friends who work in TV, I think they're often working 16-hour days. To do 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is pretty standard. And like most jobs, you're going to get out around 6 p.m. Like I don't know what working parent in the world, maybe five, but like six feels pretty standard. Also, you're working seasons. So you have like huge summer breaks. And you were making a lot of money. Like a lot of money. The office is a residual you can live off of. Yes. Especially like a series regular on The Office. I mean... I get that it sounds crazy for me to be like, working 12 hours, stop complaining. Like, that is a long fucking day. Like, we do not work 12-hour days. But that is kind of like what TV is. Like, that's the TV job. They talk more about the holidays and, you know, their epic holiday parties. Angela has, like Claire said, an epic party every year with her husband, Josh. And I know what you astute listeners are thinking. That's not the husband we referred to before. And it's because at some point during shooting The Office, Angela got divorced and remarried. And that is an autobiographical moment I would have liked to dive into a bit in this book. I am curious about how she started The Office with the showrunner being her brother-in-law. And then at some point, he wasn't. Was that awkward? How are things? They do an entire chapter dedicated to the women of Dunder Mifflin. Can I say, Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith on The Office, is someone I would like to know a lot more about. She talks about how she spent years as a traveling improviser, doing Second City, the Annoyance Theater. She did 
Io, I think. This woman has chops. She can sing, dance, act, and is an amazing improviser. Anyone who's seen her do a high kick into a deep lunging squat while belting out a song knew she'd be fantastic on Dancing with the Stars. She can do it all. I am like, I would like to know her story. I think that she would have a very like Molly Shannon-esque like black box theater to TV star background. I'm interested in how Phyllis got on the show. I'm interested in how, and Creed. Creed, I'm very interested in his life story. Phyllis just seems very sweet and sincere. She says, sometimes I can be standing close to people and they don't notice I'm there. I've heard a lot of stuff, Jenna, a lot. I laugh so hard at that. What does Phyllis know? They actually do tell this funny story. So after they got picked up for season two, Pam takes the women, which are, interestingly, not not Mindy. Yeah. Which are Phyllis, Kate, and Angela out for lunch at the Ivy. And they say, which I always find interesting, you go to the Ivy to get papped. There are so many paparazzi there. And you have to have someone request specifically to be allowed to eat on the patio. That the patio is like where the photographers take photos of you. And if you're somebody, you get to sit out there. And if you're nobody, you have to sit inside. So she had her agent call and get them reservations to sit outside. The agent specifically said they are going to be at the Ivy celebrating the pickup of their show. For a second season. She gets there with her own cake. They make her go inside, sit by the kitchen. And they have like terrible service. Somebody forgets Angela's iced tea. Somebody else forgets. Like, they've just, like, were treated terribly. So the next year, they go back for season three, and <laughs> they get treated terribly again. They almost don't even get to sit outside because Kate can't make it last minute. And they're like, well, if your whole party's not here, then you can't sit. Like, they were going to pull the reservation for them because they said it was for four and they only had three. They were just saying, like, well, let me sit with three. Yeah. They wouldn't. Finally, Pam's agent at WME calls and is like, no, just change the reservation. And as they leave, they can't get anyone to take their photos. And they're like, no, we're, we're from the office at NBC. And somebody gives them their card and they realize they think like they work in the office at NBC. Like in an office from NBC Universal. The next season, Pam's like, I think if we go back this time, they would have to treat us respect. And finally, someone's like, enough, Pam. Stop going to the fucking Ivy. They don't like you there. And I'm like, you bitches are just so regular. There are like a good amount of moments. We'll get to their red carpet moments later. But like they do love the stardom aspect of it. And I think it's because they have the perfect amount. Like, I think that they get to do all the cool shit, but they don't have to deal with all the bad shit. They're so famous without being A-listers. Exactly. They have, like, A-list household name recognition without being in any way stars. Exactly. Like, they get to do all the cool shit, and they don't have to deal with any of the bad shit, it would seem. Yeah. We didn't even know any of them were married, and now we've read their book, and I still don't know if they're divorced. They go through all the women of the office. They're talking about how much they love everybody. I will say the things that they say about Mindy are interesting. She loves her birthday as much as her own. Well, maybe not exactly, but close. She loves to send gifts. She chose the most expensive item on my baby registry, and she has unapologetic ambition. I mean, these are all like not negative things, but it seems like they just don't know her. Like they're like, oh, she loves holidays. She's a good gift giver. She really wants to make something of herself. And she did. I just feel like this is the exact paragraph I would write about Mindy Kaling. Yeah. It's deeply impersonal. Well, she didn't come to my baby party, but she did send the most expensive gift. Yeah. And when I do get to talk to her, she's talking about how expensive she wants to be. And she is expensive. This is a tough line. The women of the office are good at building one another up. And I would definitely add Rashida Jones to that list. Why is that tough? I just feel like it's another one where I'm like, have you guys met? Well, I think because Rashida was only on for one season. Okay. I think that more has to do with the fact that you don't really think of her as an office lady. That's so true. Okay. I think of her as a Parks and Recs gal. Me too. I think of her as Quincy's daughter. Me too. I think of her as the writer of Toy Story 4. I think of her as the wife and I love you, man. (laughs) 
I think of her as the celebrity crush of this guy I hooked up with in college. She's my celebrity crush. Do we have anything else to say about the ladies? They really, let me tell you, if you had a vagina on the set of The Office, you got to be in this book because it seemed like there were six. Yeah. They were like the line supervisors, valet parking that one time. She was an integral part of The Office as well. You know who I loved? That woman who directed six out of 200 episodes. Yeah. You definitely felt that it was a boys club. And then we get to the boys chapter. Steve Carell seems awesome. Well, let's talk about John Krasinski, famous a-hole. He seems just there. So they're really nice about John in here. And I find it interesting because when Jenna has her chapter about John, because they each do a romance chapter. So there's a Pam and Jim chapter and then there's a Dwight and Angela chapter. And the whole chapter about Jim and Pam is about how amazing Emily Blunt is. Yep. Did you notice that? I did. I mean, it seems like they had a fine time working together. It actually seems like they had a really good time working together. And I think they're all shocked at what a dick he is. She said that like after they got the roles, they both called their agents. The first thing they asked is, did Jenna get the part? Did John get the part? Because they had such chemistry. And she says the minute they met, they had this jam brain, Jim and Pam brain, jam brain. Yeah. And she says they worked really well together and they got it and they spent so much time working together. And so I think it's sad that he has like hit them all in the head with a hammer, so to speak, metaphorically. I guess I can't believe the inventor of good news. <laughs> could be a bad guy i can't believe the director of a short film based on a made-up tennis game from infinite jest was a dick bag <laughs> i can't believe that kind of guy would turn out to be kind of douchey i will say about most of the men i was like do you even like them like with rain wilson they were like rain wilson they were like he is kind of grumpy all the time They're like yeah he's gonna text you and tell you you fucking suck yeah he's gonna text you and say i hate you yeah he's gonna come over to your house and call your kids idiots but he's also so spiritual. And I'm like, Ugh, with a name like Rain Double N, they were like, we can't really tell the difference between Rain and Dwight. For pilot week, they're shooting the pilot of the whole show. Rain brought his pregnant wife to set, which right away I think is odd. No? I don't know. When's the last time you brought your boyfriend to work? The first week of work? I guess never, but I've never been on a TV show. So maybe that's normal. I don't know. It still feels like the first week you're still getting to know. I wonder if he thought there wouldn't be another week. I wonder if he was like, if you want to get free catering, this is the week. So she comes over and he goes, this is the holder of my seed, which is not a way I like to refer to a pregnant wife. Also, her name is like Holiday Reinhorn. And I just don't understand his name is Rain and her name is Rhein. So if they had reverse he got married, it would have been Rain Rhein. Horn. Rain Reinhorn. I wish they had reverse he gotten married. Wilson sucks. They're Holiday and Rain. That's crazy. These people I bet are you their kids' names are wacky. Jompter. <laughs> okay, we have to finish this fucking episode. I feel like we're losing it. I guess I feel like I'm in the ocean. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about Creed. Oh, Creed. Do you guys want to hear the story about how Creed got on the show? Yeah. Okay. So he was in the rock band 13th Floor, who later became Grassroots from 1967 to 1969. Do you know him? I like know of Grassroots, but only because I think my dad used to be like Creed from The Office. This is his band. So I don't know which I knew first. He then had a successful solo career and is still writing music and touring to this day. Knowing about his backstory, I was curious to find out how exactly he landed on our show. He told me that he had been working as background performer and improviser in sketches for the Bernie Mac show, which Ken Quapis directed. And when Ken found out that Creed had been in grassroots, he got a little starstruck because Ken is a massive fan. He sent out an assistant to a local record store to buy a vinyl for Creed to sign. I can't believe this guy's name is Creed. Like, you really do have to give your kids the name that you want for them. <laughs> 
The two of them got to talking about music and Ken gave Creed his phone number and told him to keep in touch. Later, when Creed heard Ken was directing the pilot of the office, he knew what he had to do. He told me, now I had never called anybody like that before, but I called him up and my intuition said, this feels right. This feels right. He had been a huge fan of the British series. So he said, can I please be in it? And Greg was like, yeah, sure. We'll see what we can do. Put him in the background. And then you guys know what happened. Then he becomes Creed. Anyway, so that episode where they fired the other guy, Devin, they kept Creed. And I guess Creed did something so funny that they were like, fuck it. Give him some lines. Yeah. Those are our favorite kind of stories. People later in life that just keep fighting for new experiences. Yeah. I would like his book. Like, what the hell was he doing background acting? He was just having fun and enjoying himself. That's so true. I love that. Keep having fun and enjoying yourself. We have a friend whose mom has been doing background acting to have fun and enjoy herself. And I feel like she's doing great. And I think she's doing great. But like, what if she becomes like the star of a show? It could happen. I know. I'm excited for her. Me too. Okay. So then they talk about award shows. They love award shows. The first red carpet they ever got to go to, Jenna Fisher was invited to like a pet fundraiser. And she invited Angela as her plus one. And she was like, there's gonna be a red carpet. And so they got dressed and they went and it was actually like a wood paneled floor because people were there with their pets. And so they were like kind of disappointed about no red carpet. But then they got to go to like an award show adjacent party because Steve Carell got nominated for a Golden Globe. And so they got invited to an NBC party and they all dressed up and it was so awesome. Steve won the award. He won for like best lead actor in a comedy before anybody was even watching the show. Like every person who watched the show is a critic for the Golden Globes. It put the show on the map. And they talk about how that was like the night of their fucking lives. And it looks like they're having a great time. And I really like Angela's dress. Me too. A lot of drop waist back in the day. They loved to drop a waist. And some people can pull it off, man. Well, Angela's the tiniest person that ever existed. Yeah, that's why you eat your food Angela size. One of her favorite stories about Jim. Yeah. Is that he would bump into her and she'd go flying because she's so tiny. He's so big. She's so tiny. And that was like one of the running gags because she's, she's so little. little. In one of the episodes when they do the white elephant they said, I bet you can't fit into that Yankee Candle bag. And guess what? She, she could. could. She's tinier than Yankee Candle. She's the size <laughs> of a littler candle. <laughs> they said the number one rule of award shows is always eat before you go because there will not be food available. Even Angela said that and she doesn't even like to eat food. She only eats Angela-sized food. And so Jenna Fisher like needs food. She needed to find food. And she forgot to pack a granola bar. And so they were walking around the venue like looking for food everywhere. And finally... Someone let them into this backstage area where there was a whole spread of food. And it turns out they were on stage, blocked by a curtain from the stage. And it was where the presenters could go before and after presenting to grab a little bite. And they're like, oh, I can't believe we were here. And I'm like, clearly someone thought you were famous. Feed the stars. Feed the stars. That's what I always say. Where's the union? Stop the signing of the contract. We got to get more food at these star functions. You know what it is about them? They're famous without being glamorous. Yes. They talk about wardrobe mishaps. At one point, Jenna Fisher wore this dress that had a lace top and then a silk underlayer. And it got stuck in her undies. And so she was walking around the red carpet. And you could see her underwear like a tiny, tiny bit. But honestly, you can barely see it. And also, this look was so ahead of its time. People are wearing lace over underwear as just like the whole outfit now. That's like a huge thing these days. They also said the best way to meet a celebrity is to approach them already laughing. I don't really know what this does to the celebrity, but it's easier to meet them if you're like mid-funny conversation. Yeah. I mean, they don't have any proof of this working. Yes, they do. They met Meryl Streep this way. They didn't meet Meryl Streep. No, I don't think Angela met Meryl Streep, but I think Jenna got to. 
They saw Amy Adams talking to Meryl Streep and they said, that's our in. Amy Adams is our friend. And so they walked up laughing. And I'll be damned if Amy didn't turn and smile and introduce Jenna to Meryl Streep. But then the lights came up. Then the lights dimmed again and everyone dispersed. I never met Meryl. You came very close to meeting Meryl. Can we take a moment and acknowledge that my plan worked? Meryl looked me right in the eyes and smiled. She said my name and I'm pretty sure she glanced over my shoulder at Angela. So I guess it does work. Shoot me in the foot. (laughs) I will. And that's how I'll meet Meryl and you'll never get to. I don't even want to. We'll be approaching laughing and I'll shoot you right in the foot (laughs) and you'll go down quick and hard like a pile of sticks and I'll keep on trudging. I'll say, Meryl, you know, I move like a pile of sticks even without a gun in my foot. I don't want to talk to Meryl. I want to just see Why? I think there are some people where I just want to see. I don't want to talk. Well, you can see me talk. I'll lay on the ground dead while you talk. (laughs) So sometimes you'll never believe this, but famous people recognize them. Sally Field is a huge fan of The Office, and so is Billie Eilish. And Angela didn't even know Billie Eilish was Billie Eilish. She thought that Billie Eilish was just a teenager at the airport. Oh, my God. The worst thing that could happen to you at an awards show? Slipping on stairs and breaking your back in foreign places. So they recommend not doing that. But this is where their friendship really solidified because Angela put her on the toilet for weeks. Yeah, Jenna got put up at the Ritz-Carlton because she broke her back when NBC flew her to New York and she fell on marble stairs. And then she broke her back and then Angela helped her until her family could fly in and help her. She talks about tabloids and she's like, somebody wrote a whole story about me dating David Spade, but I had never even met David Spade. I can't believe that they would write stories that could be 100% false. And I get that, that she's like, I always thought there was a grain of truth to them, but I had never even met this man. And then years later we met and it turns out he had gotten in trouble with his girlfriend at the time too. And then she goes, ironically, while all these totally fake stories were being written, Angela jumped into a pool in her cocktail dress during an after party and no one wrote a word. And I said, I'll tell you why, because I'm reading it right now and I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm interested not in Angela swimming around during a party in a dress, but I'm interested in that I'm like, I would party with Angela. They sound like a fun group to go to the award shows with. Yeah, because they're there to dance and to eat. I mean, they say specifically, do not waste your time trying to look cool. Own the moment. Own every moment. And I am like, that is how you go to parties. I'm sorry. If you're invited to a cool party, have fun there. Because guess what? People actually like the person who's having the most fun there. And then we get on to jam chapter. And this is all about how John and Emily Blunt are such a good couple. And me and Lee, my husband, are also a couple. And we love them as, as couples. We go out together and as families. And they have children and I have children. And Emily, what a woman. I respect Emily. And I'm like, I get it. He put a gun to your head and said, you can write this book under one condition. You have to plug Emily. Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> plug that quiet movie. <laughs> she talks about the most important Jim and Pam moments on the show. The moment that he first said he was in love with her. The first kiss. Here's something crazy. When he proposed to her, they recreated a gas station from the East Coast from the director's memory. And they used Google Images. Like Google, sorry, not Google Images, Google Maps. And like they recreate it in a Best Buy parking lot. Are there not gas stations already in California? They like created a fake four lane road and just had cars driving back and forth. So there was like and car then they created noise. fake rain. It cost $250,000 to shoot that 57 second scene. And then when they're shooting the wedding, she was like, the budget was so small. We had to only fly a few of us to Niagara Falls. And I'm just like, why didn't they save some money from the proposal to spend it on the wedding? Why didn't they just go to New Jersey on a rainy day? Great question. And this is when I started to turn on their best friendship a little bit because she's talking about shooting these scenes in Niagara Falls and being like, it sucks that my bestie Angela couldn't come. 
because they only flew us out with like a skeleton crew. And I'm like, okay, we get it. You're best friends. You can't spend three days working without your best friend. Crazy fact, Jim had the flu when they got married. She also didn't want to wear a veil, but the veil was an important part of the plot. Dang. She also says, and I found this interesting, that like they were worried that people would get exhausted of Jim and Pam once they got married because what's interesting about a married couple? Can I say? I think that's true. People did get sick of them. But something they both fought for as like obstacles in their marriage was that they never wanted to cheat on one another. I'm glad they did that. Yeah. People sometimes throw a plot twist in there that I think like ruins the whole relationship. I was rooting for them to break up personally. Really? I said, let him go pursue his dreams. You're such a boring bitch. You couldn't even finish art school. I hated that she didn't finish art school. I will say when she's talking about Karen in this book and she's like, people did start kind of rooting for Karen and Jim. And I'm like, yeah, I actually think they were a way better couple. (laughs) You held him back. And he did a lot of things that I felt were inappropriate. If Mac bought me his parents' house and didn't tell me, I'd be like, you can't do that really. We're a a team. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just like buy a house with all of our money and not tell me. I agree. You have to tell me. Yeah, you at least have to be in the loop on it. Cheat on me. Don't buy a house without me. So then they talk about being pregnant, both real and fake, because they were both pregnant on the show for real and having to hide pregnancies and then pregnant on the show for fake for the plot. And it never coincided. I guess Jenna's last pregnancy they made part of the show, but her first pregnancy was not part of the show. But Pam's first pregnancy was not at the same time as Jenna Fisher's first pregnancy. So she was real pregnant and fake pregnant. And that also happened to Angela. They talk about how when Angela had a baby for a few years before Pam had a baby, it actually really hurt their friendship. Yeah. I kind of found this very interesting. I found this the most interesting part of the book. So they were talking about how Jenna is still in the sexy part of her life where she would text Angela at like 9 p.m. and like want to go get dinner. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know anybody with a baby, but I know for shit you can't just do that. I mean, I have one friend with a baby and she lives in L.A. And I would know that if we wanted to hang out, I would have to like go and just like watch her look at her baby. Or you can make dinner plans, but it has to be planned. Yeah. A new mom might want to go out somewhere that's like close to her house. Angela did not. Yeah. I wanted to tell Angela that I missed her, but I felt selfish feeling this way. I knew what she had on her plate. Instead, I gave her space, which I later realized made her feel like I was pulling away. And so then they had to sit down and have like a real heart to heart where Angela had to be like, you don't like me anymore because I have a baby. And Pam had to be like, you don't like me anymore because you have a baby. And then they had to figure out where their friendship stood. And then they were healed. Everything was better immediately. It was hard because they see each other every day at work. And then they went on this summer vacation where already they're not seeing each other at work. And then on top of that, Angela has this whole new baby. And it really does not seem like Jenna understood what that means. Yeah. And then there was a barbecue that Jenna had at her house and she didn't even invite Angela. And Angela's like, I know I always say no, but it still hurts that you didn't even invite me. Yeah, that is tough. Then Jenna got pregnant and she didn't want anyone on set to know until she was 20 weeks. So she started bringing in her own clothes and being like, I bought this from Ann Taylor because I just thought it looked so Pam. And they were like, okay. And then at 20 weeks when she announced it, they were like, yeah, we know. We literally do your clothes and makeups and look at you through a lens. We see you all the time. We, like, are specifically studying you and your body (laughs) professionally. Of course, we know that you're four and a half months pregnant. This part really broke my heart. She's talking about pushing herself to go back to work five weeks after having a baby because she just didn't get maternity. I mean, you don't get maternity leave in television, especially episodic television like this. She didn't get time off at all. She could have taken eight weeks of disability. But because she wasn't earning any money and the show is still the same amount of episodes per season. So if you skip eight episodes, then you just don't get paid for those eight episodes. So she decided to skip five weeks. 
and then come back. And she had a really hard time coming back. Yeah, because you're exhausted from being up all night and then you're pumping and it's like these long days. And then you're just not with your baby and that makes you sad. She talked about how her sister, who's a Catholic school teacher, took six years of sick leave before she had her baby. Like saved up six years of days. Yeah, so that when she had the baby, she could have 12 weeks off. And she's like, I assumed it would be better because it was on TV. The whole experience broke my heart, not just for me, but for our culture and for all women. Soapbox moment. It shouldn't be this hard. Other countries have figured it out. We can do better. We need to do better. Needless to say, this made my first months as a new parent very stressful. And Angela's like, I knew what she was going through. So when she came back, I really tried to like go through and make anything easier for her. Like there was an episode where she's supposed to come in with the baby in a carrier. And she's like, Pam is healing from a fucking C-section. You need a stroller. You can't ask her to carry heavy shit around. Oh, like carrying a car seat. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, the truth is, it felt like a double standard. Other cast members had their schedules accommodated for films, but Jenna was not given the same consideration after having a baby. I wish Jenna had more time at home and it broke my heart seeing her struggle. That is so fucked up. Yeah. To be like, oh, if you're shooting a film, we can schedule you around it. But if you're recovering from giving birth to a literal human being, you can take disability or not. Okay. And then we have Dwangela forever. This is the Dwight and Angela chapter. I also kind of didn't care about it. It's literally seven of these pages have to do with like the first time we ever see them kissing and how hard it was of a scene to shoot because she's so little. I I just really don't care about like the emotions of an on-screen romance, to be honest. And then there's this crazy story about the time Walter White directed an episode. Brian Cranston. He came and directed the episode where they're on the bus. And it almost killed them twice. I think it sounds like he fucked up. (laughs) So first, there was no AC and they were driving and they were laughing so hard that Aaron Peter pants, which is crazy. And then they got off the bus because it was so hot and they were driving so erratically. And then they got back on the bus and they were like, good news, we have AC. We're going to put it in through the sunroof. And Jenna kept being like, it smells weird in here. It smells weird in here. And everybody was like, shut up. You're such a little bitch. You're allergic to everything. And sure enough, it turned out that they were piping in the exhaust fumes from the bus. Like the AC thingy was next to the exhaust pipe. And so the exhaust was getting sucked in through the AC and they were carbon monoxide poisoning themselves. And then she's like, see, I told you. But then they all ate pie and that made them happier. Totally. Now it's time for the finale of The Office. They decided to end the show. The network was going to give them two more seasons. But because so many contracts were up, the creator was just like, I don't think we're going to get most of the cast back. Even some of them at Helms was only coming back for half a season. Everyone was coming back for like partial contracts. And they were like, let's just all go out together. We all made enough, I think. So then they're filming the last episode and nobody knew that Steve was coming back. For some reason, they kept it like a super secret from everybody, including NBC and including Angela. And like they had fake pages for the scene he's in with Dwight. They didn't even put his name on the call sheet. They did all this stuff so that it would be like real emotions when they saw it. Because apparently Steve said, I'm never coming back for a finale. But if I do, I don't want to be the main event. Like I don't want to come in after two years and still focus. So they gave him this tiny little side piece. And then NBC itself didn't even know because they didn't want him to be part of the press lead up, which is what makes me laugh so hard. Can you imagine doing press for the finale of The Office? People knew. People were aware that The Office was ending. Something about doing press for a finale to be like, let's make sure everyone's watching the last episode. The idea that there's this big reveal in the finale. Anyway, so he actually showed them a completely different episode with like different parts of the Steve Carell cuts. And then the day before it was supposed to air, he was like, here's the real part. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't understand why they had to do that. They talk about like 
time going by after the finale was filmed versus when it was still airing and the adjustment to not having to go back because at first it feels like a regular hiatus. First, you're just not working, but they used to not work all the time. And then suddenly it hit that they were never going back. Pam goes and does theater. She does off-Broadway and then she goes to London to try to shoot some sitcom. Angela films Tall Girl on Netflix eventually, which is quite ironic. Yeah, especially because she's the smallest girl. That's what I'm saying. Totally. And then Pam wants to get back to Los Angeles. So then she books the show Splitting Up Together. And she is just so tired from the long days. Angela is exhausted from traveling all over the place. They're both so sick of having to work all the time and they want to just hang out with their kids. This is a really funny line. Even though we were all over the place, often in different time zones, we had an unspoken commitment to staying in touch. I think that you very distinctly speak the commitment by staying in touch. Anyway, they want to figure out a way that they can hang out and also make money and also work less so that they can hang out with their kids. And also be their own boss. And somebody's like, what about a podcast? She's like, how could I even begin to figure out how to put a podcast together? This is the trickiest thing I've ever heard. And they figure out the genre of rewatch podcast. And they're like, what if we just rewatched The Office? And then they're like, well, we just don't have time. There's no way we'll have time. I'm making Splitting Up Together. Angela's filming Tall Girl. And then she goes, something incredible happened. A crazy thing happened. My television show got canceled. Angela wrapped her movie. Earwolf offered us a deal. Well, the moment had finally come. Is that that crazy of a thing? I can't believe that Tall Girl came to an end and I can't believe Splitting Up Together came to an end. Crazy, crazy. Anyway, she like meets with the head of Earwolf. She doesn't realize that he's a scion. She's like, wow, I had no idea that I was sitting down with one of the top podcast makers of all time. It really shows you how much she respects her husband Lee's work. Because she's like, Lee kept saying he had a friend who worked in podcasting that I could sit down with. And so I met up with like Lee's podcaster friend. And it turns out he's like the head of a major podcasting network. But she was like, oh my God, I did not know my husband had a job. But can I say, she is like the star of a major, like that is who she should have been meeting with. It just felt very to me like she's the famous one. And she's like, I can't believe Lee knew a famous person. So she's like, we knew nothing. What kind of microphone should we even buy? What would we even talk about? So they finally do a trial where they just go into their living rooms with notes and they talk into an iPhone and then Angela's husband edits it and he's like, I think this might be really good. And Lee's like, I think you guys are really good. And they're like, should we give it a go? And they cannot believe how big it gets. They do it on Earwolf. They take all these meetings. They get the podcast off the ground. They're like, we could have never done it, just the two of us. I'm like, you absolutely could have. The first episodes, they like recorded a couple of times because they're like, this just isn't working. We need a couple different versions. Like it turns out us just like going through the episode and talking about our notes isn't entertaining. They did some interviews. No one could have guessed how successful the show could become. I guess I could have honestly guessed. Earwolf told us that a successful podcast gets about 50,000 downloads in 30 days. They were hoping our podcast would get 300,000 our first month. Guys, we got 2 million downloads in a matter of weeks. We were a hit. They also talk about launching the podcast by going on like Good Morning America and doing a full press tour. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> you had the pieces in place. I think if this podcast had flopped, you'd have no one to blame but yourselves. It almost feels like it couldn't have because there's such a new churn of Office fans that like if ever, every single person who's a fan of The Office would have had to tune in and tune out. Yeah. Anyway, now they're successful podcast ladies. And they get to only work when their kids are at school. And then they also get to hang out. And then they get to chat with their old friends from the office. And it's so fun. What could be better than having a dream job on America's favorite television show? Having a podcast about America's favorite television show. This book was very sweet. It was. I actually had no problem with it. As far as like dumb little books go, this was exactly what I thought it would be. God bless them. Keep printing out that money. Totally. Take it to the bank. 
I hope we do a CNBC rewatch podcast someday. <laughs> Stop a bitchness's rewatch. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that on Patreon someday. Oh my God. We have to do a Patreon bitchness's rewatch for the beginning of the year. I don't know that we have to, but I think I will if you want to. We, sh- we must legally. Oh no. As punishment, cosmically. We love you guys. And let me just tell you real quick who I love the most. Thank you so much to our five-star reviewing wormies. Thank you, KP dollar sign. You are cuter than a little pea in a K tree. Thank you, Mary D85. I love you even more than I love the 1985 Bears, which are the Super Bowl winning team that are the reason I was born into this world. Thank you, Alpano113, lucky number 113. You are a gem from the heavens. Thank you, Anna Olympia R. You are my favorite Olympian that has ever existed. Gold medals forever. And that is all for this week. Thank you guys so much. I adore you. Happy New Year. Happy last year. We will miss you next week, but I am so, so, so excited to see you back here in two weeks for another gorgeous year of book reading and lovely times for all.